just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into the Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and today we're covering the 8th two-parter, 7th if you go by air date order, from Justice League Season 2 Eclipsed. These episodes feature the DCAU's take on a longtime menace to the DC Comics universe, so let's jump right into the Watchtower Files for a brief history of the villainous Eclipso. Watchtower Files. Eclipso, hero and villain in one man, was created by Bob Haney and Lee Elias and debuted in House of Secrets number 61, July-August 63. While attempting to film a solar eclipse on the South Pacific island of Diablo, scientist Bruce Gordon is attacked by Mofir, a local seer who believes Gordon has defied the island's customs. Mofir manages to cut Gordon with the strange black diamond he wields before their struggle leads to Mofir falling off a cliff to his death. Happy to be free of Mofir's tyranny, the islanders give Gordon the black diamond and Mofir's strange purple and black costume. Thanks, I guess. (laughs) What a parting gift. Some months later, Gordon is dedicating his newly built solar city, because it's the Silver Age, when another eclipse occurs in the South Pacific. The second eclipse, combined with the first and the cut from the Black Diamond, changes Gordon into the malevolent Eclipso, clad in Mofir's costume and marked with one half of his face eclipsed in blue. Eclipso can use the diamond to fire a freezing beam of black light when held up to his eclipsed eye and a powerful laser beam from his other eye. He uses this power to destroy Solar City before a blinding flash of light returns Bruce Gordon to normal. For some time after, every time Gordon experiences an eclipse, either natural or unnatural, Eclipso takes over his body and spreads his evil. Gordon eventually developed an ultraviolet ray gun, hoping to turn his Eclipso half to the side of good, but instead it split them in two, allowing Gordon to become Eclipso's nemesis full-time. So they basically recreated the junkyard fight between in Superman 3 over and over again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the Eclipso strip ran in House of Mystery until issue 80, September-October of 1966. Along the way, the art chores switched first to Alex Toth, then to Jack Sparling. Bob Haney wrote all the stories and even brought Eclipso with him to The Brave and the Bold, where in issue 64 he fought Batman. His appearance in a Batman comic in early 1966 led to him appearing in several pieces of Batman merchandise during the Batmania of that year including a prominent role on a coloring book by Watkins Strathmore where he battles the dynamic duo. Yeah, there's a lot of Batman merchandise from there where, like, Eclipso shows up. And for years, I'm like, why Eclipso? And then I saw that Brave and the Bold, and I'm like, oh, that's why Eclipso. Uh, Eclipso disappeared for eight years before returning to battle the JLA in Justice League of America number 109, January-February 1974. He briefly bedeviled the Metal Men in their revived title in issues 48 and 49 in 1976, before getting his own strip back for two issues in the back of Adventure Comics, number one, excuse me, number four fifty-seven and four fifty-eight in nineteen seventy-eight. In nineteen eighty, Eclipso and Bruce Gordon became recurring characters in the Green Lantern series, with Gordon taking a position at Ferris Aircraft, developing an experimental solar-powered jet. 
This, of course, led to confrontations between Eclipso and Green Lantern Hal Jordan and then Jon Stewart. In the post-crisis era, Eclipso battled the Outsiders in their title, and then the Phantom Stranger, first in his own miniseries and then in Action Comics Weekly. But he made his biggest splash in the 1992 summer event Eclipso, The Darkness Within, that kicked off with a book-ending self-titled miniseries by Keith Giffen, Robert Loring Fleming, and Bart Sears. This tied into a series of annuals where Eclipso used his black diamond to eclipse many of the heroes and villains of the DCU, bringing out their dark sides. And I have to mention, Eclipso, The Darkness Within, number one, had that plastic diamond affixed to the cover. Eclipso's like looking through the diamond at you with on the cover, and many people have said it like ruined the comic books in their long boxes and short boxes because of the, that that diamond sticking yeah. out. It like warped the comics around it basically. So Ooh. everybody, the Shag in particular, mentioned that. So I had to bring that up. <laughs> the series also retconned Eclipso's origin, detailing that he was a god of vengeance, once trapped in a large black diamond called the Heart of Darkness. The diamond was cut into 1,000 shards, one of which infected Bruce Gordon. Now the rest were on the loose, infecting heroes and villains alike. Not, thank goodness, it's not the Heart of Darkness by Conrad. <laughs> yeah, we had to read that in high school. <laughs> I still remember that book. AP, AP English class, yeah. Yeah. This led to Eclipso's own short-lived series debuting that year and running through issue number 18, February 1994. Along the way, in issue number 13, Eclipso slaughtered a team of heroes who attempted to defeat him, killing the second Wildcat and Dr. Midnight, the characters seen on the Stargirl TV series, as well as Major Victory, Commander Steel, the Peacemaker, Manhunter, or a version of Mark Shaw's Manhunter, and the Creeper, although the Creeper got better. Sometime after this, in the Spectre series by John Orstrander and Tom Mandrake, it was revealed that Eclipso was God's original spirit of vengeance before the Spectre himself. The Spectre seemingly destroyed the Heart of Darkness and sent the ashes into space. In 2003, the same year these episodes aired, Eclipso joined forces with Mordrew and Obsidian during the Prince of Darkness storyline in JSA by Jeff Johns and Leonard Kirk. The Justice Society received an unlikely ally when Alex Montez, the cousin of the Wildcat that Eclipso had slain, injected himself with the liquefied remains of the Black Diamond and used binding tattoos he learned of on Diablo Island to control Eclipso's power for a time. Alex helped the JSA out for a while before joining Black Adam's rogue team of anti-heroes. Eclipso proved to be too powerful for him to contain, and he murdered Alex's lover and ally, the female Nemesis. Distraught and determined to stop Eclipso once and for all, Alex committed suicide. It didn't really matter much, because from here, Eclipso corrupts Mary Marvel and takes over Jean Loring after she went murderously crazy in Identity Crisis, and all sorts of icky stuff I don't want to talk about, in which... Do not have any bearing on these episodes, so let's move on to the episodes themselves, shall we? Okay. Okay. Eclipsed originally aired November 8th, 2003. It was written by Joseph Kerr, directed by Dan Reba, and had music by Christopher Carter. And the voice cast we have, Maria Canals as Hot Girl, Carl Lumley as John Jones, George Newburn as Superman, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Tracy Walter as Mo Fear, Enrico Colantoni as Glorious Gordon Godfrey, Brian Doyle Murray as Artie Bauman, Bruce McGill as General McCormick, Ted McGinley as Burns, Ian James Corlett as Sarge, Victor Williams as Snooty British Director, and Lucas Haas as Private. Somewhere in the Middle East, a group of U.S. soldiers track a wanted dictator deep into the desert. They stumble upon a strange temple carved with ancient runes and full of human skulls. 
Inside, they find a large purple-black diamond, but before one of the soldiers can touch it, they are attacked by an old but extremely agile man named Mofir. What is it, Burns? I think it's my kid's college tuition fund, Sarge. He startles the soldiers with his light-emitting ruby and his swordplay, all while rambling on about the Black Heart and how he is protecting the world. The soldiers eventually knock Mofir unconscious, and one of the soldiers, Burns, is drawn to the jewel. He touches it, and two ethereal snakes rise from the jewel and enter his mind. There he sees a snake-like humanoid and seems to go into a trance. Burns mumbles incoherently, then opens fire on his own platoon. He throws a grenade, bringing the entire temple down around them. As he walks away with the diamond, he whistles a strange tune. After the opening theme, we find the Flash racing through Central City and encountering his foes Captain Boomerang, Mirror Master, and Heatwave, who just robbed a bank. Flash is taken down by the rogues until a young fan on a skateboard tosses him a light speed energy bar. Flash eats the snack and takes down the villains at light speed. But it turns out this is all just a commercial, and it's being shown on the glorious Gordon Godfrey show. For fast energy, grab a light speed booster bar with a big burst of flavor in every bite. Yeah. See? This is what these self-appointed guardians of humanity are really about. Cashing in on their image, shilling for whoever's got the deepest pockets. It's not enough that they turn our kids into bullies and delinquents with their arrogant might-makes-right policy. Once again, the glorious one tells it like it is. Am I right, folks, or am I right? Godfrey, a rabble-rousing talk show host, is launching a smear campaign against the League, citing their might-makes-right policies and using Flash's paid-for celebrity sponsorship to question the team's motivations. Green Lantern is furious that Flash has opened up the entire team to such criticisms as they watch the show in a diner. After he rudely finishes off GL's fries, Flash takes him outside to show him what he bought with his commercial money, the Flashmobile. Flash invites GL into his tricked-out shagging wagon, and after suggesting they take a road trip as two hard-traveling heroes, they turn on the van's TV to find Godfrey is still on his anti-league tirade, calling them Super Zeros. Flash has had enough of this and speeds over to Godfrey's studio. Green Lantern watches in horror as Godfrey makes a fool out of the Scarlet Speedster blaming the League for the rise in white-collar crime and divorce and manipulating him into admitting he and his teammates feel superior to those they protect. Meanwhile, in the Fallen Temple, Mofir talks to himself about the end of the world and how he will be blamed for it. Burns, having been picked up by an army hummer, grabs the driver's pistol and demands to know what the military's deadliest weapon is. The nervous soldier tells him about nuclear weapons. Burns responds, It's a start. Later, on the Watchtower, the League watched Godfrey's latest rant about the Just Us League. Today, I have a report from Dr. Frederick, the respected child psychologist, in which he states, and I quote, Some children who admire these over-pumped superheroes do poorly in school, quarrel with their siblings, and refuse to eat their vegetables. I'd like to ask the Just Us League how they respond to these accusations. But I can't! Because they don't have the nerve to show up here! When he makes salacious comments about Wonder Woman's costume... 
The Amazon princess punches the monitor. On a military base, Army officials led by General McCormick prepared to test their new anti-fusion device. The AFD was created to neutralize nuclear warheads at the point of detonation. As the test begins, Burns drives a jeep through security and onto the test site in the hopes of getting himself some nukes. He is eventually stopped by the soldiers who place him under arrest. While all of this is going on, Flash is busy filming another commercial, but even he can't lower himself to shell for gastrointestinal relief. His agent, Artie Bauman, tries to calm him down, but Flash throws another tantrum, destroying the set and sending it toppling down on the director. Artie is left holding the bag for damages, but realizes he can help soften the blow of a lawsuit if he sells the footage of Flash's tantrum to Godfrey, so he makes a call. While a clueless Burns is interrogated at the base, McCormick has the black heart diamond and is now in its power. He studies all the files on the AFD, but finds another potentially destructive weapon while walking past a television. Gordon Godfrey is running the footage of Flash lashing out at his director and comments that the League could destroy the world. The General asks how he might find the Just Us League. Captain, how would one find this Just Us League? <laughs> Put on a gaudy costume and threaten to hurt a lot of people? Thank you, Captain. The footage is also on the minds of Flash, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman, who visit the office of Artie Bowman, wanting to know how Godfrey got the footage. He offers an angry Wonder Woman the cover of the swimsuit issue, but the heroes are distracted by explosion at the nearby nuclear power plant. There they find General McCormick clad in a rather familiar comic-accurate purple and black costume, firing a bazooka all around the plant. They also discover he's ignited the methane gas in the sewers, sending explosions erupting up through the pavement. Mankind's time will be forever eclipsed! Tonight, my people will be avenged! Where did these nuts come from? At a nearby airfield, Mofir, somewhat in disguise as a soldier, leaves a recently landed cargo plane and instantly knows who is behind these explosions. Flash and GL douse the fires while Wonder Woman chases down the Eclipse McCormick. She manages to capture him, but does not heed his warning about the diamond's dark power to destroy the world, and touches it. The transference happens, and Wonder Woman 2 becomes eclipsed. Flash finds her dropping the general's body from high in the plant, but luckily is able to catch him. Diana tells a puzzled Flash that she's fine, but as she walks away, holding the Blackheart diamond, she hums an eerie tune. No, stay back. Its dark power can destroy the world. Not anymore. Hey, Princess, fire's out. Need a hand in here? No, he's finished. Whoa! That was a little harsh. Are you feeling all right? I'm fine, but there's still so much to do. Man, a lot happened in 22 minutes. They did. It was action packed. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's just so many different set. They're just jumping back and forth, mm -hmm. but it's it's handled really well. But it's it was kind of hard to synopsis because I was trying to keep this episode a little bit shorter because last episode was really long. So, mm -hmm. so I was trying to keep it a little shorter. Uh, Burns here, our uh, soldier that takes the diamond, is voiced by utility replacement actor Ted McGinley, uh, having replaced vacant actors on Happy Days, The Love Boat, and Married with Children, where he far outlasted the original guy. Another DC animated show will have some fun with this, 
with McGinley replacing John DiMaggio as Aquaman in the last episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold. Well, there you go. Yeah, where Henry Winkler is also Ambush Bug, so hmm. happy days. Uh, the female soldier Chung is voiced by Lauren Tom, best known for the Joy Luck Club, Friends, playing Amy Wong on Futurama, and the grandmother on Andy Mack. Mm-hmm. She's also Gizmo on Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. And hey, we have Mo Fear yeah. from the comics. Yeah, uh, although he's quite different than the comic version, uh, opposing Eclipso instead of being possessed by him, mm-hmm. or you know, so yeah. Uh, Mo Fear is voiced by Tracy Walter, known for films like City Slickers, Repo Man, Conan the Destroyer, but best known to us geeks as Bob the Goon from Batman '89, immortalized as one of the worst action figures of all time. <laughs> I don't know. I always when. When we entered this episode, finding him in the cave, you know, guarding this artifact, it made me think of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where he's guarding the chalice. Oh, yeah, the knight. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, make, it is kind of like that. Yeah, that's true. Tracy Walter was also in Matilda. He was one of the uh, the guys with uh, Paul Rubens that were watching their house, the feds. Yes, yes. They were casing their house. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> As speedboat salesmen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With Rhea Perlman, ties into Cheers cast. Yeah. She's yeah, the mom. And yeah. I love that movie. That's a fun movie. When I saw the Snake Men, uh, or Snake Man in this point, I thought for a minute there we had switched into an He-Man episode. But uh, no, there will be more on Snake Men in part two. Right, so, right. So stay tuned. Yeah, I was like, whoa, what? what? I, I forgot about that part. So oddly enough, this is the second episode in a row where we opened on U.S. Soldiers. Because mm-hmm. last time they were hunting Solomon Grundy. Right. So that's interesting. Now, I remember that Flash did the commercial, but I had forgotten we get our first looks at Captain Boomerang, Mirror Master, and Heat Wave, even if they are just actors and not the real characters. At this point, yeah. At this point. But it's cool to see them because Boomer and Mirror Master will get prominent roles in one of my favorite JLU episodes. And, well, also Boomer will be in the Task Force S. X episode too, if I remember right. I think yeah, he's he's part of that. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's definitely part of that, and then he's in the the Flash centric episode toward the end of JLU. And Heatwave will appear as a member of the Legion of Doom slash Secret Society in the last season as well. Mm -hmm. So then we meet glorious Gordon Godfrey, who seems even more relevant now than he did in two thousand three, doesn't he? I wonder why. Spreading personal opinion is fact. Getting people riled up over fabricated claims to suit his own needs. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't seem like anything we don't have to deal with every day in the media. Um, now, we see that this story is a bit of a mashup between two big DC comic crossovers. Legends, where Godfrey turned the world against the superheroes, and Eclipse of the Darkness Within, like we mentioned. So. Uh, Godfrey in the comics is actually one of Darkseid's minions, Glorious Godfrey, who does have persuasive powers. Uh, he debuted in Forever People number three, June, July, 1971. Um, he is voiced here with Silver Tongue Excellence by Enrico Colantoni, best known for Just Shoot Me, Veronica Mars, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and of course, as Mathazar in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Which he, like, he created that whole, like, just the way he talked created that whole alien culture. There's a great documentary. I think it's on Amazon Prime about Galaxy Quest. We need to watch that. I've watched it. Oh. I've watched it. Yeah, it's great. Okay. You should watch it. Okay, it, apparently I haven't. <laughs> no, you haven't watched it. I think you were asleep on the couch when I watched it. Oh, well, you know. But it, it's, it's, it's great. And it, it's, I mean, they give him all the credit of like, you know, 
because it's like, you know, he just totally on the fly came up with the way he talked like this, you know, so, that's like, so I love that guy. He's, he's great. He's great in everything. So, uh, <laughs> so what did you think about Green Lantern's, why do you need a van? And, and, right, you know, and he's the fastest man alive, but then he sees the spare tire and what does it say? Wild thing. <laughs> yeah. And GL responds, never mind. I don't even want to know. <laughs> you know, Flash is a younger man, sowing his wild oats there. He's, got you the, know. He's, he's, he's the late 80s Wally West before mm. he settled down. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, again, the creators are sneaking in some adult humor here. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And then Flash references the classic Green Lantern, Green Arrow series by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams by suggesting... That him and Green Lantern become hard traveling heroes in search of America. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, that's great. Um, I guess the private that Burns is riding with, uh, when, you know, he takes his gun and asks about the nuclear weapons, I guess that's the one that's voiced by Lucas Haas. I, I don't honestly know. I know? wasn't sure either. I was trying to pick out the voice and I couldn't. Yeah, he's, Lucas Haas is best known for Witness, Inception, and Mars Attacks, but, mm-hmm. you know, so. Uh, now this missile base, they're testing nuclear weapons. Did they leave the Middle East? Or did you, I, did you think about that? It's one of those cases that, you know, you have secret military installations and I, just I know, but it's like, it I, you know, I don't really think that, that, that seemed kind of odd. It's like, mm, maybe not a good idea. It, and if not, how did Burns get back to the States? They showed that Mofir gets back to the States on a cargo plane. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm thinking that, but then somehow, but somehow, you know, it doesn't make a big deal about McCormick later getting from the Middle East to the States when he, mm-hmm. you know, dresses up as Eclipso. Right. So I, I don't know. They, they, that was one part they should have, they needed some kind of, to show where we Even were just at. a line of exposition. Yeah, Exactly. General McCormick is played by Bruce McGill, no doubt best remembered as D-Day in Animal House, but also a recurring character on the original MacGyver, and the bartender in that strange last episode of Quantum Leap, mm-hmm. uh, which is really trippy, but a good one, anyway. Uh, the AFD device is up on a huge, big tower structure, and it looks like the Gamma Bomb from The Incredible Hulk number one. Mm. And then a Jeep drives onto the base and disrupts the test. Just like in The Incredible Hulk number yeah. one. Although uh, Burns isn't like playing the harmonica and driving with his feet like Rick Jones was. Or right. Whatever that idiot was doing. Uh, again, you know, Tim and company mix in some Marvel references. I mean, you know, they their influences are, they you know, they're, they are not above like, oh, yeah, we like Marvel just as well. We're just throwing Marvel when we want yeah. to. You know, so, hey, it works. So, the creators fooled us again when it looks like Flash is filming his commercial on the Watchtower. And it's just plywood. It's just plywood, just cheap sets that fall over on the director later who goes, oh. (laughs) Being a superhero, I'm always on the run, and I can't afford to slow down for anything, not even gastrointestinal distress. So when I need fast, fast, fast relief from the cramping, burning, itching, oh, I can't say this. Artie Bowman is played by Brian Doyle Murray, no doubt best known for Caddyshack, your favorite film. Look. Uh, JFK, and of course, he's immortalized every year thanks to the yearly airings of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where he plays Clark's awful boss, Frank Shirley, who has a change of heart at the end. At the end, he's also on the middle. 
mm-hmm. uh, as Frankie's boss. We've been watching a lot of The Middle on our lunch breaks as we're staying at home. Right. Uh, <laughs> binging that again. And, of course, he's also Bill Murray's brother. Yes. So uh, the soldiers interrogating Burns say his unit was taken out. So are they dead? I know. I mean, you think about it. I mean, I asked that when we were watching it. You know, are they dead? And then, you know, they said they were taken out. So, I mean, they killed all of them and they showed... You know, they showed the bodies. And even Mo Fear, like, like takes one of their boots off and checks to see. He puts their clothes on. Yeah. But are they, they never say, they're taken out. I know. But are they, they never say if they're, I, my feeling is the creators intended them to be dead. Uh-huh. But they couldn't flatly say they're dead. Right. Because they couldn't, like, kill them. You know. Right, because it is a kid's cartoon, but looking at it through an adult's perspective, you're like, yeah, they got killed. Yeah. It's like I just recently rewatched Batman Strangest Cases episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold where uh, Batmite you know, shows the mad version of Batman, Batman, Batboy and Reuben, and he shows the Batmanga, um, you know, where they're fighting Lord Deathman, uh-huh, and at the uh-huh. end, Lord Deathman, like, his his helicopter hits the power lines and explodes, and, 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 and Robin's like, that's the end of Lord Deathman. Although I'm sure he parachuted to safety, you know. And then at the end, Batman's like, yeah, he parachuted to safety. Yeah, right. (laughs) I think that's what's going on right here. Yeah. It's that old G.I. Joe. Oh, they parachuted out, so it's okay. You know, but I don't think they did. So, Yeah. yeah. Again, this episode makes even more sense now with celebrities constantly behaving badly on a daily basis, it seems, thanks to social media. Uh, Back then in the 2000s and the 90s and stuff, it was all about the videotape scandals, you know, mm-hmm. what they were caught on videotape and, and, you know, and, and then these different TV shows get a hold of them and some of them they couldn't show and some they could and they'd have things blacked out and, you know, and, and how did they get into the media and, and, but now it's just, you know, people can incriminate themselves on social feeds, you know, and lose their jobs and stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, say or do stupid stuff, win stupid prizes. Exactly. Also, don't check your clause and your contract and get fired. And, well, you know, that's your fault. You know, it's like. But anyway, moving on. Moving on. What did you think about Artie's interaction with Wonder Woman? And speaking of publicity, I could set you up for the swimsuit issue. Cover guaranteed. You slimy little weasel. Do you think I can be bought and sold? A tough negotiator. I like that. Why didn't she just like... To me, I'm sorry. Anytime they interrogate somebody, why don't? Why doesn't Wonder Woman just wrap them with the lasso? Because it doesn't have the power yet. It doesn't. She doesn't. They, that's coming up in JLU. That she. It's not been given the the lasso of truth thing yet. Oh, okay. It's okay. just the lasso. That's why it's not all goldy looking and stuff. So oh, okay. That that okay. that comes up later. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. But, but uh, you know, he always I can get you the swimsuit issue, which of course is the Sports Illustrated right swimsuit issue. But she she picks him up and throws him up against the wall. But I mean, he, I mean, I got to give it to him. I mean, he doesn't even act like he snivels or anything. He's like, you know, he's basically, you know, he, like I forgot. He looks over his shoulder at Flash and says something smart. I like to, you know, he's still just. He's but smarmy. He is totally smarmy. Yeah, yeah. He kind of reminds me of the the episode last year with the demon Etrigan and the dude that gets the Hefner guy that gets turned into the worm. Yeah, kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah. But then we actually get the Eclipso costume thanks to that captain telling the general it's the a gaudy costume is the best way to get the, the Justice League's attention. attention. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just right on model. You know, it's the old old school. 
Eclipso costume, so... He's a handy-dandy little seamstress there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where did he get that? Did he go to a costume shop and just, you know, throw it together? Yeah. Or, I don't know. We get the classic Flash Typhoon of Water trick, and I love the little bit where he stands, hands on hips, like, yeah, I did that, and then he stomps the little last little ember that's left. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that was cute. Yeah, so... So do you think the diamond wanted the general to let Wonder Woman have it? Because I mean he was like holding it out to her. So I mean the whole point was to get the Justice League. Mm -hmm. So I mean I'm thinking like the diamond like has sentience. Yeah, well inside him it's like, you know, the we'll we'll get to what's going on with that later, but I don't want to spoil it yet. Although you guys probably already seen this stuff. But there there's a reason why he would do that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that because I mean literally he was holding it out, it's like don't touch it. It's got dark powers, you know, and everything. And, and of course, she just touches it, which is, you know, probably not real smart, but she did. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like I said, there's a lot going on in this first part. I tried to keep the synopsis shorter, but I honestly couldn't. Like I said, it, it all works, but there are a lot of balls in the air. Right. We'll, we'll see if it pays off. But, uh, Joseph Kerr, who wrote this, had written, uh, for the Batman Beyond spinoff, the Zeta Project before this. You know, go on to write for The Batman, Legion of Superheroes, and The Brave Batman, The Brave and the Bold. Let's see if he can wrap up everything in a nice bow in part two. There you go. The glorious one isn't afraid to say, I told you so. Millions lost power tonight. Did the heroes think of that before they took on this weirdo? How much longer are we going to put up with this kind of reckless endangerment and wanton disregard for public safety? Haven't you had enough? Demonstrate! Friends, the will of the people must be heard. So I want you to call on our government. No, on all the world's governments. To ban the Just Us League! Glorious Godfrey amps up his campaign against the League and calls for the world's governments to ban them. Meanwhile, Flash gets a call from Artie Bowman, informing him that all of his sponsors have dropped him. Green Lantern participates in the interrogation of General McCormick, who doesn't remember anything he did or where the now-missing anti-fusion device may have gone. He tells Green Lantern the device isn't a weapon unless you plan on taking out a star with it. The eclipsed Wonder Woman observes all of this and rudely manhandles the Flash when he approaches her with coffee. As they leave the police precinct, Green Lantern notes how the people are now staring at them thanks to Godfrey's propaganda. Diana again makes an out-of-character remark, angrily calling men fools as she walks away, leaving Flash and Green Lantern flummoxed. This must be why Mofir is able to walk up behind them and, slamming their heads together, knock them unconscious. He then attacks Wonder Woman, and the two recognize who it is they are really dealing with. Ah, our incompetent jailer. You have our gratitude. Keep it. Mofir prefers your head. The possessed Diana has the upper hand until Mofir blasts her with the light from his ruby amulet. Mofir goes in for the kill, but Green Lantern stops him with his ring. GL tells Flash to take care of Mofir while he gets the unconscious Diana to the watchtower. No one seems to notice her clutching the Darkheart Diamond. At a nearby hospital, Flash hears a straitjacket-bound Mofir ramble on about the Earth being forever eclipsed and remembers McCormick saying something similar. He asks Mofir to tell him his story. He tells of ancient times when man was at war with the Ophidians, a race of snake-like humanoids. Man had nearly wiped out these moon worshippers, when they held a special ceremony during a lunar eclipse, placing the souls of the last of their race into the black diamond known as the Heart of Darkness. Unable to touch the diamond for fear of being overtaken by its power, the tribes of men erected a temple around it. Mofir is the latest in a line of guardians assigned to protect the earth from the diamond's evil. 
Flash is still skeptical, but asks how to stop those possessed by the heart of darkness. Let's say I believe you. How do we stop it? Or them? Two ways. Pure light from Mophir's gem drives spirits back into heart of darkness. Great. What's the second way? Separate host head from body. Bummer. On the Watchtower, Flash relates his story to Jean and checks on Wonder Woman, who seems normal. When the other leaguers notice a security breach in the Javelin Bay, Flash suspects Diana is still under the Diamond's influence. Their security footage shows Jean taking a familiar-looking device from the Javelin, but he doesn't remember doing this at all. Flash grabs the ruby and uses it on Jean and Diana, but no evil spirits retreat. When he tries it on Superman, Green Lantern blasts the ruby, destroying it. Holding the dark heart, he vows to destroy the Earth as the other leaguers engage him. After a brief battle, they manage to overcome the Emerald Gladiator, and he drops the black heart. Flash warns them not to touch it. Hot Girl responds, as always, by smashing it into thousands of pieces with her mace, most of which end up embedded into her and the other leaguers, minus the Flash, who uses his speed to dodge them. Careful, don't touch it! No one will ever again. Nice move, but you might want to warn us next time before it. Uh oh. Scarlet Speaster finds himself alone against a possessed Justice League. John takes out the lights, and after Superman makes a rather disturbing proclamation, the Eclipse Leaguers go after the Flash. He hides from Superman by crawling through the air ducts, where he hears the Ophidian's plan to use the anti-fusion device, the item Jean took from the javelin, and throw it into the Earth's sun, causing it to collapse. Green Lantern uses his ring to send it hurtling on a collision course with Soul. Flash attempts to contact Batman, but is blasted with Superman's heat vision, leaving him with some nasty, lacerated burns. He then makes it to the javelin, only to find its controls wrecked. As the mindless leaguers close in on him, the AFD finds its target, creating a black hole in the sun. Below on Earth, its population sees this and begins to panic, including Mofir and the not-so-glorious Godfrey. Folks, we're getting a live report. What? This, this can't be right. Mommy? Flash escapes by drilling through the javelin and several floors of the watchtower. As the leaguers continue to get closer and closer, all hope seems lost, until he notices a switch with a sign marked High Voltage. When the possessed heroes approach, he flips the switch, and the blinding beacon light blasts the Ophidian souls from the hero's bodies, back into the diamond shards. What I wouldn't give for another amulet. You've lost, human. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is hopeless. But like Grammy Flash used to say, why curse the dark when you can light up a 700,000 watt candle? But their victory is short-lived. They still have the dying sun to take care of. Luckily, the League performs well in moments of crisis and eventually formulate a plan, although Flash is a bit dubious. How can we stop it? There is one possibility. To halt the process, we would need to create an Einstein-Rosen bridge to drain off the infecting anti-fusion matter. Create a what? Do what? Make a wormhole to suck away the bad stuff. Oh, we can use the javelin. It's got a wormhole generator for interstellar travel. Uh, more bad news. How long will it take to repair? Too long. We don't need the whole ship, just the generator. But without the ship's engines behind it, we'll never get close enough to light speed for the generator to trigger a wormhole. Even I can't fly that fast. No, but 
Give Flash the generator. Excuse me? I'll use my ring to give you a running start. Our combined speeds might be enough to get the generator to open the wormhole. That's crazy! You've got a better idea? With a protective aura around them both, Green Lantern slings Flash toward the sun, then creates a track for him to run on with his ring. Flash races toward the dying star and at the exact moment hurls the wormhole generator into it. It works as planned with the AFD's energies being sucked into the fissure. On Earth, people cheer and Mo Fear smiles. Green Lantern retrieves an unconscious Flash and brings him to the watchtower. Flash recovers and is his usual horndog self, asking for mouth-to-mouth. But things are not quite the same for glorious Godfrey, who is abandoned by his sponsors and finds his show moved to a new time slot, right before the farm report. Flash turns down Artie's offer for more sponsorships, but points him into a new star in the making, Mo Fear. That was a scene today at a rally held to honor the Justice League who apparently saved the world this week. Now, to the sponsors who dropped me, I just want to say, I know I've sometimes appeared critical of the Justice League, but it's only because I care. And if you feel it's possible to care too much, then here I sit, guilty as charged. Friends, starting next week, look for the glorious one at our new time. 4.15 a.m., right after the farm report. Can you believe this guy? Talk to me. Great news, Bunky. Mercury Sports Shoes called and People Like Us magazine. Sports shoes, huh? What did I tell you, babe? You're a star. Uh, sorry, Artie. The endorsement thing's really not working for me. But I know someone who might be looking for representation. Mofir's job to preserve the world. So when Mofir need fast, fast, fast relief from cramping, burning, itching, Mofir always reach for Gloxitol. While rewatching this, I kept wondering if Godfrey at some point became tied to the actual Eclipse plot, but he doesn't. Uh, he really amps things up, asking the League be banned. Again, the creators were ahead of groups asking for everything to be canceled they don't like or even redo things like the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Mm. You know, so. <laughs> Artie tells Flash there's no such thing as bad publicity as workers take down all the Flash posters in his office, all the while two buxom beauties file his nails, and then he fakes static and drops the call. Now that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're breaking up. Yeah, that that's classy. <laughs> Do you buy that Mo Fear could just walk up and take out Green Lantern and Flash like that? I mean, he literally just walks up behind him and goes, bam, and slams their heads together. Right. I mean, especially Green Lantern, who would be on guard, especially right now with the people turned against him. Normally, if if Green Lantern was on his own, even with the you know with the people turned against him and everything else, I think so. But I think Flash scrambles with him, you know, because there's certain people that you're just kind of like. I'm dealing dealing with you. I can't deal with anything else, you know. Mm, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, you know. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, they knock, Diana gets knocked out. She's holding, I mean, the way the diamond, the diamond in this thing is huge. Yes. I mean, it's, I mean, it's as big as your hand. I mean, it's, it's it like, well, it's bigger than your hand. It's like about the size, what, what could you, it's like the size of. Um, and a clare. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it sticks out. Like, if it's in your hand, it's the top sticking out and the bottom sticking out. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like Eclipso's little diamond that he holds up to his eye in the comic book. No. It's it's huge. I mean, it's and calling it a diamond is probably not even right. It's just like a big jewel or something. Right. Some but, crystal. Yeah, it's a geode. It must be acknowledged. 
Uh, I'm sorry, folks. I've tried to raise him better. But wouldn't somebody notice that she's holding that thing? I mean, you know, it's like she's holding it in her hand when they flip. When they be like, "What's that?" She's got in her hand, you know, or something. Right. We need to take that into custody. We need to, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like maybe that's got something to do with it. But that would have messed the plot up. So I know. Uh, (laughs) What did you think of the backstory with the Ophidians? I mean, why? I mean, I guess they were truly evil, you know. Not just wanting to save their culture. They just wanted, you know. Yeah, but I mean, maybe they were just truly evil because humans wiped them out. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I mean, humans, like, wipe the race out. So, kind of can't blame them for wanting revenge. I mean, how do we know who was evil and who wasn't? I mean, maybe the humans were just like, ooh, snake people. And, yeah. you know, it's like, so it's like, you know, I mean, it's true. I, I true. mean, it's kind of like, you know, they were there too. It's like, you know, they were another culture of of beings and it's just like oh they're snake people so they're evil you know it's like it, it, i don't know it just it doesn't you know play as well maybe now as you know even as if it would have in 2003 i don't know them putting all of their souls into the diamond made me think about on star trek trek the next generation when they put those memories into that probe and then that probe hit picard oh yeah with the Oh, what's the name of that episode? That's the famous episode. Yeah, with the flute. Is that the inner inner light? Is that the name of that one? I can't remember, but that's the one what it where put he, me played, he lives yeah. that man's life out. And, yeah, that's a fan. That's a great episode. But yeah. that I mean that's just what it might put it me did, in mind. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, here Mofir calls the diamond the heart of darkness, but he also calls it the dark heart and black heart. So I use all those terms in our synopsis. Right. They just kept interchanging those terms, so you know it. That's not me goofing up. That's what they did in the show. So so how do we think things went down? Green Lantern took Diana to the Watchtower. John touched the diamond, got infected, you know, got the AFD out of the javelin, which was like hidden up inside the javelin. And we'll get to that in a minute. And then GL touched the, the, the jewel. I mean, how long does the influence last? I mean, that's yeah. what I couldn't figure out, you know, how, you know, based on contact. Right. How long does it take before it wears off? And why does touching it again, why, why does that really make it transfer to somebody else? Mm-hmm. You know, once it's in somebody, you know, it's kind of, I mean, I can see if you make it go back into the diamond and then it comes, they touch it and, it, you know, but it's like literally, like apparently the way it did with McCormick and and Burns, you know, nothing flashed at Burns, but then when McCormick touched it, he got it. Right. You know, so, I mean, I'm just kind of confused Yeah, that but how did, the, how did the AFD get on the javelin anyway? Because it shows Jean going to the javelin, and it's like he there's this little round circle thing in there, and he takes it out of it. Right. It's like, how did it, who put it, how did it get on the watchtower? I don't know. That's, you know, why. And I mean, maybe did Jon Stewart Green Lantern touch it and then go get the AFD? Or did McCormick, when McCormick gave his essence to Wonder Woman, you know, and she was there, and he had it. Maybe that she took it with them and hid it in the javelin at that point, where they were while they were there. I were they? I guess, I guess they were probably in the javelin because Wonder Woman was there, and Wonder Woman can't fly into space on her own. I, but of course, Green Lantern could have. Yeah, put but I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I could figure. Yeah, it, it, you know, there's a lot going on this episode, and there's some, you know, it's. It, it, if you're watching it, you'll never think about those things Mm-mm. like that. But it, it's another case where you're doing a podcast, you start to you know think about those things. The bit of who is possessed reminds me of John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, it's like well, who's who's got it in them now? You right. Know, stuff like that. That's, but again, I mean, before they have the shards embedded in them, which I understand, 
is how long does the touch last? Last because Burns obviously he's not possessed by it anymore. No, neither is McCormick. So how long does that last? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, it, it, the Ophidians have more imagination than John Stewart though, because he makes a giant snake construct That's with right. his ring. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Would, as soon as which we saw is that. beyond most of what we've seen him do on the show mm-hmm. at this point. You know, it's way beyond. So it's it's like everybody's more imaginative with that. I'm a, I love John Stewart Green Lantern. I mean, oh, he's yeah, become absolutely. my like favorite character on this show other than you know obviously with batman superman but i mean of, of the other characters he's like my favorite but it's like uh you know it he's still like get, get some imagination john you know and then they're gonna it's gonna get better it's get, it's getting better and it's gonna get even better because like tim and them said it's like we thought you know that people might think it's kind of silly that he makes these things but no it's like it's cool that's like you know yeah. people want to see green lantern do that stuff so and uh like you said if wonder woman had had the lasso of truth, truth. She could have just like roped everybody and said, "You're clean, you're clean," you know, and yeah. and just you know wrapped everybody together and found out who, you know, who had it. But she doesn't have it yet. So, so how about Hot Girl? I love Hot Girl. You know, Hot Girl is my favorite character on this show, and I was just like, "You dummy!" Yeah, just smash something you don't understand. I mean, you know, that's gonna go everywhere, and not only that. But to make to smash it in, you know, not only about getting infected with this, you know, evil, but you know, those are sharp. Where are these little points going to go? Well, and I mean, she, you know, in an enclosed space on the watchtower. I mean, what? This thing has possessed how many people, and now they know it has because it obviously was in possession of Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And she just smashes it without thinking. Well, it's. I mean, what if there was enough magical energy in that thing to blow up the watchtower exactly. or something? Exactly. I mean, I'm Everybody sorry. would be dead, but Superman be standing out in space going, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> basically, <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, you know, it, it just, yeah. And if what well, was magic, Superman might be dead, too. So, I mean, it just, yeah, it was. I just, I, I was so disappointed in her. Yeah. I'm like, honey, no. We really are at hot girl smash, like in the last yeah. episode. Yeah. John also becomes a snake and takes out those lights. So, yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. I really like the low lighting when the lights go out, the way the colors look. And Flash looks particularly different because, like, he's usually got that dark, like, shadow, um, like, all in his costume. Mm-hmm. And here it's, like, reversed. And it's it's really it's really cool. And I, I wouldn't doubt that it looks kind of like Bruce Tim boarded some of this himself. I can kind of, like, when the animation gets, like, a whole lot better all of a sudden. I'm, although these are really well animated. Yes. I just when they take it up a notch. When they take it up a notch, like, yeah, Bruce Tim stepping in, like, I'll board that. You know, that's yeah. usually what happens. So I like how a dark version of the Superman theme plays when he's blasting the Flash. Hey, Pats. Mayday. Hello. Just a little dun, bit dun, dun. in a key yeah. lower. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Although I'm not sure why an exploded fire extinguisher would phase him enough to distract Superman. That's what he throws at him when he's blasting with his heat vision. I right. Mean, he's got X-ray vision too. People, it's not like he can't see through the 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 you know the fire extinguisher smoke or whatever. It's not smoke, but you know the foam or whatever. Uh, what you think? I mean, we see the eclipse. The black hole in the sun, you know, all people starting to panic on Earth, and 
Godfrey's there and you know he gets a report and he's like, This can't be right and he just looks up and he goes, Mommy <laughs> I hope that was on air when that happened. I hope the cameras were still rolling. Well, I probably explained why it's in front of the farm report. Yeah, exactly. Uh the bit with the league humming in unison, now that's that's creepy. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, this this is like a horror film in a lot of ways. I mean there, there's a lot of horror elements in this ser- in this season. I mean, if you think about it, because we just had the the Lovecraftian horror last time. Mm-hmm. The Doctor Destiny episodes were really creepy. I mean, you know, there's there's quite a bit of there's quite a bit of horror this season, which is is kind of interesting. It just kind of emerged as a as a theme. So now the solution. I like the thing with the light. Don't you think they should have established? What that light was exactly? That came out of nowhere, right? That gi- what is it? Is it a giant bee? Is it literally like a lighthouse in space? Right, right. They, I mean, you know, what that, is it? Yeah, what, it's it, just a, yeah. It's just convenient that they have. It's a Deus Ex Machina. They that they just had. You know, it's or it's a Deus Ex Machina light. You know, we just uh, you know. It, it, I mean, if you know, even if they'd shown Superman like a change the bulb in the beacon you know the yeah. you know something like that you know just just a throwaway dialogue like superman comes in he's got like the old bulb or something i mean they just needed that like to you know set it up for later it's it's Chekhov's light right, even if it had been a couple you know beforehand a couple yeah. episodes before yeah or even in this episode right, right. you know it, the first time they show even if they went back to part one when they showed them watching godfrey mm-hmm. you know have wonder woman come in with the light bulb, like that she just changed it. Right. You know, it's this giant light bulb that's as big as our dining room table here or something, you know. Yeah. And and she's and then she's like, What are you all watching? Like, oh, we're watching, you know, Godfrey's, you know, giving us and then Wonder Woman comes in and she gets mad and punches the thing. Yeah. That would have taken care of it. Yeah. You know, but it's like here it's like, whoever heard of this thing before? You know, it's like so it's that I'll take some points away for that. That was a little sloppy. Mm. But I wonder what they did with those shards of the diamond. And how they made sure they got them all. Did Green Lantern, like, he should have just scooped them up with his ring. Right. But, but, and then, you know, what about those shards of diamond? I'm thinking about, you know, the times that we have accidentally dropped one of those incandescent bulbs and those little shards go every stinking place. Yeah. You know, how do you get them all? And if they're just little tiny, super little tiny splinters, does it just make them a little evil? I mean, So, yeah, because it shows the Ophidians going back into the shards. Mm-hmm. They don't just, like, get burned away and die. They're back in those shards, so they could have come back later. I don't think I don't think they ever do anything else with it. Right. It may have been the comics based on the animated, but those don't count as canon. So, But I, I don't know if, uh, or some people may do, but officially they don't. But um, I, don't, I don't know. I, that's, that's a good question. It's, you know, maybe did Green Lantern take them to Oa for safekeeping or... I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Superman put him in the fortress? I don't know. I'm not sure if the science behind the big save with the wormhole and the sun checks out, but it uses enough smart terminology like the Rosenberg Bridge and Einstein Rosenberg Bridge uh, to to sound comic book convincing, which is really all we ask for. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know why. I mean, this is a Flash episode. That's why Superman couldn't do it. I mean... Doesn't it make more sense for Super? I mean, Superman should be able to survive the sun. That's where he gets his powers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I honestly just think it would have made more sense for Superman to just fly into the sun and throw the thing. And really, why? How could that survive the heat of the sun? The AFD. 
Yeah. The AFD wouldn't survive the heat of the sun, and then the, the generator wouldn't survive the heat of the no. sun either, the wormhole generator. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you say, well, Superman can, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. But I do like that Flash makes a, like, let's get this cosmic treadmill going. Uh-huh. And a cosmic treadmill reference, so that's a nice comic reference, because obviously cosmic treadmill is what... Barry Allen used to go back in time, go to the, you know, different, uh, you know, Earth 2 and things like that. So, it's fun. What do you think about when he came to what he said? Swirly lights. Fuzzy grilled cheese. <laughs> Swirly lights. Fuzzy grilled cheese. <laughs> hmm. Fuzzy grilled cheese sounds like it's made on moldy bread. It's like, <laughs> How about that mouth-to-mouth comment? <laughs> well, you know, again, proving that Flash is a horn dog. Yep, definitely. What do we think about Godfrey's ending about uh, the farm report? The <laughs> that was well deserved. Yep, yeah. Now, as far as Mo Fear, I actually felt bad for him because, yeah, he's getting famous, but he's not. I mean, he was a proud warrior who tried to save the world. Yeah. And because people didn't listen to him is why they had to do that. And now they're kind of making fun of it. You know? Yeah, just, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's... It's it's a... Meh. Are they taking advantage of his... Naivety. Yeah, his cultural naivety. naivety. Yeah. yeah. It kind of, yeah. It, but it's just supposed to be funny. I know? know, I know. And, I mean, Mofir was... A, it's kind of a weird little character. I mean, it's like... It's like because he looked ancient, but he, like, literally was, like, agile, like a... Like, crazy, like a ninja or something, yeah. you know? It was... But uh, in Godfrey, there's never any connection to Dark Side or Fourth World or anything. Here he's just the, I mean, they just basically took the aspect of his cover from Legends as the, mm-hmm. you know, talk show host or, you know, whatever he was. I can't remember if he was exactly a talk show host, but he was a media personality and just ran with that. But, uh, yeah, but it worked. It really worked. So so for our, our superlatives this episode. Power action feature. Power action feature. What I mean, did you did you have one that that jumped out at you in particular? I mean, I mean, just the cosmic treadmill, and then the stupid power feature would be hot girl smashing. <laughs> I'm like, really, chick? I mean, come on. We, we almost bring that back for the magic mace meter, but it really isn't the mace's fault. It's hot girl's fault. Exactly. So, I mean, it's literally just like I'm gonna use this blunt object and smash it. You know. <laughs> I mean, that's like the redneck solution. I'm going to tear it up. You know, it's like, watch this. Hold my beer. You know, I, I, I mean, just. Unfortunately, we've seen enough of that around here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. The Didn't do it, but observed it. Yeah, the, the big the big save at the end yeah. is probably the, the big moment. So, Rotating chairperson. Rotating chairperson. Who'd you, who'd you have this time? I mean, I, I, it it's one of those case, cases. I mean. I'd kind of go with Mo Fear. Go with Mo Fear? <laughs> yeah. Because he tried to tell them what to do, and they didn't listen to him. Mm. But he was trying to behead everybody, too. You know, I well, mean, so he's a little harsh. But, uh, I mean, he knows how the thing works. It's not the person's fault, you know. But, uh, but you know, he told Flash, you know, either a bright light or, you know, separate the head from the body, you know. Yeah. Kind of like vampire thing going on there. So but, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, okay. Well, now, if we just stick to the league, I mean, this is a Flash episode. Right. So, I mean, I think you got to pick the Flash, even though you technically could probably pick Green Lantern because he, Green Lantern actually comes off better, but this is Flash's story, so. Justice League Communicator. Did you have a line that, that jumped out at you for Justice League Communicator? No, no. I mean, you know, just. There were some good ones, but my favorite was. Why do you need a van? 
Wait, don't answer that. I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and uh, uh, Fuzzy Grilled Cheese was pretty good, too. But Comic Connections. Comic Connections. We get a lot of nods to Eclipso stories of the past, including the Darkness Within event, plus Legends, like we said, and the Incredible Hulk number one. I mean, so there, there's all sorts of comic nods, weird, random comic nods in this, but they somehow weave it, weave it all together. So Electricity is evil. Now... For electricity is evil, I don't really recall there being any kind of like Mm-mm. electrical shock. Actually, electricity is good in this one because the megawatt bulb cures the Justice League. Right. So electricity, high voltage electricity is actually good in this one, not evil. So so overall, what did you think of these episodes? It was one of those cases. I mean, I, I liked it, but I mean, it's one of those cases you can't examine too close because there's a little piece here that should have been explained a little better. There's a little piece... It's good. It's a good episode, but it's not an excellent episode. Right, right. I like part two better than one because the League versus Flash stuff is actually really gripping. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's like, oh, man, what's he going to do? It should seem more uneven than it is because it's balancing high stakes, end of the world stuff with some pretty zany characters like Mofir and Artie and even Godfrey to a point. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're almost, they're very, they're pretty cartoony for this show. Right. But the creators somehow make it work. So it's not the greatest, but it's a good solid pair of yeah. episodes, I think. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have your listener feedback on episode 20. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfenstaffner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just... I can't sleep. I, I I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events, as in the comic books. DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis. Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very invasion, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. I won't even charge you for it. (laughs) Awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) When shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. (laughs) Cool. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Richard Pryor? 
Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire & Water Podcast Network. You don't know about me and him? Me and Superman? Okay, we're back with uh, feedback for episode 20, which guest starred the irredeemable Shag and Derek M. Cook. And uh, I apologize, guys, for the length of that episode. I probably should have split that into two mm. episodes, but I was just, you know, we'd been gone for a long time, and I want to do like, Let's do a big blowout episode, but honestly, it probably would have been more fair to both Shag and Derek to each give them an episode. Mm. So I apologize if that, you know, that was too much for JLU cast for somebody to digest at once. We're, you know, we'll, you know, normally try to keep them a little bit, a little bit shorter than that, as this one is, is going to be shorter than that. Okay. So we have feedback from Rob McCarthy. On Earth, Rob McCarthy, Superman and Batman are both bad at magic. Batman is a little better because he's been around it more. Yeah, plus being friends with Jason Blood, which must really sour you on magic. Uh, I can my soul and bond with a powerful demon? Cool. Oh, my power goes away if somebody says a three-line poem. Nah, I'll stick to steroids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had mentioned that, you know, Batman uh, trained with Zatara as well, you know, in the animated universe. So right. That makes sense. Uh, James Williams writes in, this is a good point to bring up, am I the only one having problem with the audio in this episode? The beginning summary of the Superman episode has a few long blank spots where I'm guessing Chris and Cindy's description would be. Uh, yes. When the episode first went out, there was a error in the actual file. I'm not sure how that happened. I listened to the episode through and the whole way, and that was not there and I'm not sure how it got in there. It Luckily, Ryan noticed it. Ryan Daly noticed it and uh, told me about it that morning. And I quickly refreshed it. And I, and I you know, mentioned to James that, hey, it was screwed up. Uh, check it again. It should be okay. And he wrote, thanks. That did the trick. Great episode. So I apologize again to everybody for that. Uh, for whatever reason, the internet gods just wanted to give me grief over getting that, that episode together for some reason. I don't know why, but there you go. Maybe Exul 2 was pissed. I don't know. But <laughs> Rob Kelly writes in, Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, all that crap. Cindy bringing the fire. The fact that this tirade could be brought up within moments of talking about Solomon Grundy only reconfirms there is magic to this show and not that kind that's always dunking on Superman. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, Steve Gibbons writes in, say, there is a lot in your discussion on these episodes that I responded to, but the one thing I would like to comment on is the theme of faith explored in the Justice League story. Despite the marvelized portrayals of the characters, Hot Girl's arc, in which she comes to understand the value of faith in a higher power, even if she doesn't develop her own faith, is rendered very effectively. There is a real growth in the character, and ironically, she affirms that, she affirms that faith is a good and necessary aspect of life and death, despite being a naysaying skeptic herself. The poignancy of Solomon Grundy's death stems not only from the affectionate portrayal of the character in the series up to that point, but also from the fact that Hot Girl's decision to tell Grundy a comforting lie, from her perspective at least, is simply a profound act of kindness. Is the cold-hearted truth about what she personally believes needed in that moment? Not at all. Sometimes kindness means allowing someone to hold on to their beliefs, if only just for, for strength and comfort in their last moments. 
Yeah, very well said. I think this episode just did, as we said, this episode did a great job mm-hmm. with that aspect, and, and, and you did a really nice job of putting it into words there, Stephen, so thank you. Ryan Daly writes in, I got a really surprising glimpse into Chris and Cindy's exhibitionist side. I swear they are going to jump each other right in the middle of the recording, and the fact that they kept on insisting to Derek that it was cool and that he didn't have to log off tells me Cindy likes someone to watch. <laughs> anyway, I hope the next episode is as good as this. <laughs> Honestly, can't remember what I, you know. I know you couldn't remember what was so like, like just. I, I mean, I'm sorry, guys, but if it is so lacking in your lives that that turned y'all up, you know, <laughs> that's all I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and insult our listenership, Cindy. That's really good. That's really good. <laughs> Even if it is one of my podcasting partners, yeah. I mean, I love Ryan, but honey, come on. <laughs> Speaking of podcasting partners, Rob Kelly wrote in again. I haven't heard this much raw sexual energy. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't understand what I said. I really don't. Between hosts. Uh, let me try it again. I haven't heard this much raw sexual energy between posts since the last drive-in double feature I did with Max. And they were always talking about smutty movies on that show. What did I say? <laughs> I, I'm not going back. I've listened to that episode multiple times. So, I, you know, it's 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 long. I don't, you know. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly what you said. That you, you were kind of. It was like I think it was right before anniversary. So you were kind of, yeah, riled up a little bit. I think so. Well, I, I, I like you. I, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really did love the Defenders episode of JLU. I'm ashamed to admit I didn't notice the parallels until later after it originally aired. I wanted to throw my phone off my balcony when I heard Derek say, uh, "Pad Peter David made Aquaman cool." Arg. But of course, he's not the first person to think say that. That said, I really did like the JLU approach to Aquaman, at least how he was in the comics at the time. They simply did it better. Yeah, they did. Doubling back, I really loved the team-up episodes of Superman the Animated Series, and the Dr. Fate show was among the best. While I would not have wanted to lose STAS as a show, it would have been fun if the show had been an hour each week with one Superman solo story and one DCU team up. Superman and Rima, anyone? Yeah, that would have been really cool. That would have been great. Great episode, CNC, but please mark all future episodes not safe for work. <laughs> Again, I really don't know what I said. I can't remember what I said that was so naughty. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, if they had done an hour long show and half Superman and half team up, kind of like they used to do the, the all new Super Friends hour, you know, that, that would have been, that would have been really sweet. I would have loved that. Yeah. So Doug, I'm no pineapple, but I've been called a fiddlehead before Van Diver. <laughs> How's this for a super dictionary entry? The army man is outraged that Aquaman whisked Grundy away. For the sea king to take the big guy makes this commander very mad. He finds Aquaman's actions outrageous. The Justice League tale makes good sense of the death by flashback trope. You can predict Grundy's tragic end by the fact that out of the blue, Grundy's origin is revealed in a show that generally skirts around doing origins of guest players like him, like the Humanite. What did seem notable to me was that it wasn't, say, Jean or someone who sussed out the Cyrus Gold history. That legwork was saved for someone who, like Grundy, we know as a Golden Age JSA mainstay, Dr. Fate. Thought that was a cool touch for us JSA junkies. Yeah, and I should have mentioned that in particular, there is some history with Dr. Fate and Grundy going back to those Our Man, Dr. Fate team ups they did in the 60s when they were like, they paired off Starman and Black Canary and they paired off Dr. Fate and Our Man like in Bring the Bolden Showcase mm-hmm. and 
and there was an issue that had Grundy, and they brought Alan Scott in, and so they had some history there, too. Obviously, they had history, but... Uh, Nick Vector wrote in to say, just a quote from the episode, same old Dr. Fate, as Superman said in Hand of Fate. And yeah, I guess it, it it's not quite the same old Dr. Fate, because for our network, the same old Dr. Fate is that first issue special Shag's covered like 15 times. Uh, Dr. Ange wrote in to say, late to the comment section, I know. It's fine. You know, you got in before we record the next episode, so you're all good. Yeah. Uh, great episode with excellent commentary. Love the Defenders vibe here. Something I also missed the first time around. And Hot Girl's best line in the Terror Beyond is clearly the best line. Yeah, she might have won the season, actually, at this point. I am reminded of the classic comic paradox, though. Grundy inside Ikthultu's brain? Heroic. Gene Loring inside Sue Didney's brain? Villainous. Or are these concepts too big and ancient for us to contemplate? Well, the difference is is that Ikthultu's just this nasty, you know, ancient god character that nobody cares about, and Sue Dibney was a beloved comic book character that they just, you know, that Brad Meltzer decided to just trash the, you know, for story purposes, and yeah, so that that's the difference. But wow. There you go. Identity crisis again. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that'll do it for this one. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. There's lots of different ways you can contribute. And uh, at certain donation level, you can be uh, sponsor certain shows, uh, like our friends Jorge Luis Castillo and Matt Ryan. They specifically support the JLU cast, so thank you guys. So as they're always. our favorites. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so thank you guys. <laughs> thank you guys as always. We'll be back next month with another episode of Justice League, and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. JLU cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the fire and water podcast network the characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders likewise all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied so please don't sue mommy and daddy emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com comments can be left at fire and water podcast Com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. Hey, we should take a road trip. What? Think about it. Two hard-traveling heroes cruising the countryside looking for America? Uh, yeah, I'll let you know when my schedule frees up.